Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's the Philosopher's Stone podcast. How y'all doing? What up, Sam? How is your life treating you in the big city? Oh, man, it's great. Uh, just one victory after another is pretty awesome. Are you sarcasming me right now? No, I'm serious. I got a, I got a job. I got, uh, I got a job. I got a, a placement, like a co-op placement that could probably turn into a job. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. So you weren't being sarcastic. You just sounded very sarcastic when you said that. <laughs> yeah. So you actually are getting, you're actually killing it, just to clarify. I think so, yeah. Like, most of the internships in this program are unpaid. Uh, but if you get one with the federal government, then it's paid. Oh, shit. And you think you might get one with the federal government? Oh, no, I got one. Oh, so you just want a Trudeau's lapdogs now, huh? Hey, I am the lapdog of the prime minister, whether that be Trudeau or Gurgit Singh or uh, I don't know. Who else could it be? I'm honestly like I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm just voting for whoever has the most aggressive climate change plan because I, 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 I'm, I'm fucking over this shit. I'm done. I'm Amen. done. I don't Amen. care. <laughs> I'd rather be I'd rather be destitute than being in fucking smoke filled heat wave bullshit the rest of my life. Okay, I'm not. I don't care. I don't care if I make half the amount of money I'm making now because the the economy tanks. As long as the climate change is stopped. Mm. I mean, BC's just been getting like bent over a barrel and fucked every summer for years now, just like years and years. I know. <laughs> like this has to end, or else I'm getting the fuck out of here. I don't really have any other like demands from my government currently, other than fix this shit any way you can. Yeah. So I don't care if it's the Green Party, the Conservative Party, just you hit me with your climate action plan and whatever one is the most aggressive is getting my vote. That's just how it is. I don't give a fuck. I don't send your hate mail to tpspodcast420 <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, that sounds like gr Green Party. Green Party? Sure. Why not? But what can they do? What can they actually get done? Uh, I don't know. That's for them to convince me. Yeah. Whoever comes up with the best plan gets the vote from Jordan Strauss. My vote. Honestly, I feel like it counts more than most people's vote. So do you think the people will like if, say, politicians don't continue on their present course, which is talk a lot and do nothing about climate change? Yeah. Do you think people will overthrow their governments? At a certain point, yeah. But by the time it gets that bad, I think we're pretty much already too late. Like, I think I talked about this on a couple episodes ago because we're like a couple episodes behind as far as releasing. So I don't know when this one's going to come out. but. People don't give a shit about things until they directly affect their lives. And that's starting to happen in BC with 45 degree weather and nonstop wildfires every fucking year. So like it's getting to that point, at least in this province, where people are like, okay, this is now becoming the top priority uh, as far as what we want out of our leaders. Like this sucks. And eventually it'll get so bad everywhere else that that's going to be it's not just going to be us. It's going to be the whole, everyone that doesn't stand to make money from government is going to be like, do something about this, you fucks. Get Jeffrey Bezos, steal his credit card, <laughs> and pay for whatever needs to be paid for with it. Yeah, if you're, if you're not making money from fossil fuel industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all benefit from the fossil fuel industry, but at this point, it's like, I don't need... It's survival now. We're 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 cha we're changing into uh, this is a survival situation. So 
compromises and sacrifices must be made. And if that's financial, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I mean, even Greece is like burning down. I know. Greece. Cradle of civilization. Yeah. Even they're getting fucked by this. So I, that's the way I'm voting from now on. Get us out of this hellhole. There's no reason to vote for anyone else at this point for any other reason. I don't care if it's the Green Party. I really don't care. I'll, I'll vote conservative if they have the best action plan. Something tells me they won't, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I just, I, I, it's getting dark. It's getting pretty fucking gloomy out there. And uh, it's getting real, okay? Shit, things are starting to get real out over here. Oh, yeah. And uh, at this point, it's pretty, I really don't understand how people are still denying the effects of climate change, uh, especially in the past like year or two, because it is brutal. And uh, I know there's always like, well, climate's always changing. It's been hotter than this before. Fuck off. How about that? How about you fuck off? Okay. (laughs) It's getting way worse in one lifetime. The fact that you could try and claim that humans don't have an effect on it is just ridiculous. There's 7 billion of us driving around, flying jets. Well, you see, God wouldn't have allowed us to do that to the world. So uh, it sounds like you're talking like a liberal. What do you mean God wouldn't have allowed us to do that? God (laughs) flooded the earth. Did he not? He's not scared to wipe the slate clean if he has to. Only God has the power to uh, change the climate. So uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, sounds like you're you're talking a blow to that science crap. That's what it sounds like to me. <sighs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. This is this is a, that that's not even an exaggeration of the type of people you're trying to talk to about this shit. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the problem though. Is like as long as they can find a way to deny it, they will. And then when it becomes undeniable, it's it's too late. This people are just so afraid of of like admitting that something shitty is happening they, they just don't want to acknowledge it same thing with covid they would think of any other reason to for to other than it being it's not a big deal that's what everybody wants to keep believing it's not a big deal they're scared of change to deal with this problem you have to change a lot of things yeah and nobody wants to deal with the scale of change that will have to come about i mean that's what i'm saying is like i'm like People will deal with the change when it gets bad enough because eventually they're gonna it, like change is happening whether they like it or not. So it's just unfortunately people really don't give a shit until it starts like until their their feet start getting soggy and they're hot and they're burning their forests are burning every goddamn year. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is the hangover talking, but I'm feeling bleak today. <laughs> I'm guarantee you it's the hangover talking. Have a nice cleanse tonight, and tomorrow you'll be you'll be you'll be uh, running the diesel. You'll be voting voting conservative. Yeah, Mondays are notoriously my most depressed day. <laughs> Actually, no, Tuesdays are the worst day of the week. That's because they're like Mondays are like okay, it's your first day back. It has to be done. You can kind of blow through it, but Tuesdays is like you're the furthest away from the weekend you could be without it being Monday. Blowing a lot of minds right now, I'm sure. But that's just how I always feel. Tuesdays are always the worst. Mm. I don't know. I've just I've been drinking a lot. I, and it's not out of sadness. It's really because I've been having just a blast at comedy. The thing about comedy is that if you have a rough set, you want to drink to drown the sorrow. But if you have a good set, you want to drink to keep the keep the keep the party going. So <laughs> I think I just need to take a couple a couple weeks off and let the old brain reset. Mm. 
Yeah, just give it a give it a few days. Give it a couple days. Yeah, you're right. I'll be ready to go again next weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's the spirit. <laughs> Comedy's been awesome though lately. Super fun. All the shows have been great. Oh man. I'm getting ready to go to an open mic next week. That'll be your first show back in a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, since uh, September, October. Yeah, dog. It's good. You're gonna love it. Are you doing all new material? You really have no excuse if you're not yeah. doing all new material at this point. I don't know. I've I've got all new material. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can do a joke about. Uh, I I did. I went for this long walk yesterday, like a five hour walk. What the fuck? Five hours? Go for a five hour walk. I have a problem leaving the house. So I just was like, okay, I got to leave the house today. So I went for like this massive walk. I walked all the way to Blue Jays Stadium for my house, which took like three hours. Holy. Yeah, there's like a big Blue Jays game on at the time. And like I got downtown and I just saw all these people in Blue Jays uniforms, like all walking in one direction. So I figured, oh, there must be a game this way. I'm going to follow this crowd. Uh huh. So I followed him. Yeah. And so I uh, followed the crowd to the stadium. And it's, it's like, man, there are some degenerate people hanging around baseball games. <laughs> like, just shit-faced at like 11 o'clock. Yeah, they're called sports fans. Dude, how can you be that drunk at like 11 o'clock in the morning? Just like in broad daylight. <laughs> like there's kids around. Like Sam, as if you haven't been that drunk that time of day before. That's true. Not down, not downtown. Like not at a family-oriented location. I don't think. True. Typically, if I'm that drunk in the morning, it's because I'm camping. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was like, I was just sitting on this bench, like drinking my water, like eating my apple, and this guy in a jersey like walks up to me, and he's like, I could tell he's like he's fucked, and he just like bends, he like bends over in front of me, he's like, hey buddy, is there anything on top of my head? <laughs> And I was just like, no. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure? <laughs> I just like glared at him. <laughs> and then he like walked away. And then whenever I got like a little itch on top of my head, I thought, oh my God, was that like a ghost that put like a curse on me? And now I'm going to always think there's like something on top of my head. Like, did he pass like a curse on me? <laughs> <laughs> the most ruthless curse ever cast. <laughs> I curse you to always feel like there's something on your head when there's not. <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse. Anyway, um, yeah, and then I got rained on. I got soaked, absolutely drenched. But then after that, went out for wings. And um, the real curse for me is whenever I go to a wings place, I always order the spiciest wings on the menu. You have a fucking problem, man. You have a problem. You need to get help. <laughs> well, they never, uh, they're never really all that spicy, like... This place is called St. Louis Wings. Uh-huh. And they're a big chain, and I ordered their spiciest wings, and it was didn't even get a runny nose. Like Really? Ah, <sighs> oh, what a shame, hey? You go out to a nice restaurant, and you don't even get yourself in I know, I know. Un- unimaginable pain. <laughs> unimaginable pain. <sighs> yeah. Well, there are more Blue Jays fans at the restaurant. They were also absolutely shit-faced. Yeah. Big city life, eh? Seems like you're getting the whole gambit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice getting used to the city. It's very cool. Lots of stuff to do. Well, Swoop does flights, I think, from Kelowna to Toronto now. So maybe I'll have to fucking fly out there, show you how it's done. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Let the small city mouse show you how to run the big city. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah. I mean, I would hardly, I'm not like a city person. Like, I don't know this. I don't know where anything is. I'm a total noob. 
I hate that feeling. I hate not knowing where I am when I'm in a city. It's the worst. It's kind of nice. You kind of like feel like you're kind of lost, which is cool. It's cool to feel lost. I enjoy that feeling. Mm, I don't mind that for a very brief time, but I hate not knowing where I am orientated in relative to like the city. Oh, okay. Well, you can, Toronto's like a grid, so it's like pretty simple. And if you know where the CN Tower is, you can pretty much orient yourself. It's pretty easy to see it. I guess so. But space, what is space anyway? What is space? What is space? Like, if it's not a function of our own minds, you know what I mean? Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> you should explain that to me in detail. Yeah. Well, this is part two. I can get to Toronto from here for 120 bucks on Swoop. How about that? Damn. I'm coming to visit. Round trip? Uh, no. Okay, still. Holy shit. Oh, it looks like I can do I can do a one-way Abbotsford to Toronto for 70 bucks. God, I don't even want to get on that plane. <laughs> you have to drive to Abbotsford though. Like, yeah, I know. I I uh yeah, it's cheap. Cheapest cheap cheap AF as the kids will say. Cheap AF. So I'm gonna have to come out there, go to a blues J- Blue Jays game, get absolutely oh, blackout at 10 yeah. 30 in the morning. <laughs> let's do it. All right, talk to me about space. All right, so this is part two of our series on causation. Part one, we did, oh no, maybe, is this part three already? We did Aristotle, we did Hume. Now are we on part three? I don't, I don't know what part this is. I thought we only did one part, I, but I'm like, I'm lost. I don't know where we're at in our, in our series here. I don't really know either. Um, anyway, so we did Aristotle on causation. I think this episode we're doing... Either we did Hume last time or we're doing Hume again. I don't know. But anyway, let's just do a quick recap okay, uh, <laughs> of whatever it is that we did. I'm pretty sure we only did one, right? Okay, anyway. So we'll get Hume out of the way real quick in this one because we've talked about him before. Yeah, get that fat fuck out of the way. Right. So before Hume, many philosophers agreed that cause and effect, part of the idea of cause and effect is this idea of a necessary connection between the cause and the effect. If the cause is present, then the effect must occur. If you throw a ball up in the air, it must come down. Mm -hmm. But David Hume noticed that we cannot justify this necessary connection between cause and effect. A necessary connection is something like if the shape is a triangle, it will have three sides. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I remember talking about this before. This this is what Hume does. He's like, you don't know the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Yeah. Basically, yeah, Hume's point is that uh, you can never learn about a necessary truth through your experience. Because to know that something is necessary, you have to know that it's true in all possible worlds. Every possible corner of the universe, this is true. Right. But you can't experience every possible world, every possible corner of the universe. So Mm -hmm. you can never learn about a necessary truth through experience. That's sort of Hume's point. So this idea of cause and effect... So if you think that there's a necessary connection between the cause and effect, well, you're just wrong because you didn't learn about that through your experience. Right. So instead, Hume says that causation is a concept that we sort of like, we make it up to explain how certain events always seem to follow other events. You throw a ball up in the air, it seems to fall. One billiard ball hits another, it rolls away. We sort of see this happening all the time and we make up causation to explain it. So it's actually, actually, it's a causation for humans, just like a, like a habit, like a custom. Yeah, I know. I think we've talked about this before, but like, can't, can't physics predict 
these things are going to happen with 100% accuracy, pretty much? Yeah, so Hume had a, a similar a similar thought about this, right? He said, uh, okay, right, you, you, you say that nature is uniform. Things are uniform. Things always seem to happen in the same way. Well, what justifies you from saying that? Well, every time you've seen it, it's happened in this way. But if you are, so you're trying to say that things are regular because so far you've seen that things are regular. Mm-hmm. But it, that doesn't justify you that the things in the past that you've seen are, are regular. That doesn't allow you to say that the future will be regular because you haven't seen the future. Right. So you've seen the past, right? That's your reason for believing that up until now things have been regular, but you haven't seen the future. So what you've seen doesn't allow you to predict the future. Yeah. And like all you got to do is to go into orbit and realize that a ball that gets thrown up might not come down. It doesn't necessarily come down, right? So it's just like I get what he's saying, but I don't get why he's doing this, <laughs> Mr. Hume. Why is he doing this to us? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think like, does he, what, does he have a greater point that he's trying to make? Or is he just saying like, you can't really predict anything based on your experiences of what happened before? No, I don't think he has a, I mean, I don't think he has an agenda or anything because the things that he noticed are actual, are real problems, right? Like the idea that you can't learn about necessary truths through experience. I think that's still accepted to this day. Like, I think like that's a legitimate, a legitimate point. And his arguments against induction, right? This idea like things have happened in a certain way in the past. Nature is uniform. Therefore, things will happen in the same way in the future, right? Like he showed that that argument is a circular argument. Right. So you actually can't, you can't, there's no, that was his point, right? So people didn't like this. People did not like Hume's conclusions. And the person who didn't like them the most was a man named Emmanuel Kant. Yes, the epic battle between Kant and Hume. It happens again. Here we go. Kant was a Newtonian, right? So he, he believed in Newtonian physics. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hume had basically come along and said, oh, look at all these fancy new, new things you've made up. Guess what? You don't actually have any real like, scientific knowledge of any of these things. That you can't really rationally justify any of your laws of nature. So, and Kant noticed that Hume's... Hume sort of, remember, like Hume made this attack on causation. Mm-hmm. Kant noticed that his arguments, they don't just apply to causation in science, they apply to metaphysics. Our concepts of motion, time, space, all of these, we seem to get our ideas of time, space, and motion from experience. Mm-hmm. But if we get ideas of time, space, and motion from experience, then they're not necessarily true. Right. I mean, and they have figured out nowadays that some of the stuff they thought was true wasn't true about physics right because of all this quantum nonsense that's happening now oh yeah (laughs) definitely so we're gonna go through kant's kant has like a sort of a solution it's not really a solution but it sort of takes what hume did and then it goes in the other direction with it okay it's kind of mind-blowing so you may you may notice similarities between kant and berkeley the idealist right so berkeley was an idealist kant calls himself a transcendental idealist. Ooh. Yeah. Fancy. So Berkeley believed that all we know are ideas, and ideas are supposed to be representations of the world outside of our heads. Kant is a little different. Kant thinks that the mind constructs our experiences. Okay, how is that different? We'll unpack it. We'll unpack it. Unpack it. We just moved in. 
It's time to unpack. Got to unpack. Time to unpack. (laughs) So Kant said that causation is what he called a synthetic a priori judgment. Okay. A priori. So there's some weird words in there. So we're going to break that down. So a priori means that you learn about it without having to justify it through your experience or your senses. So you can think of that like, like the whole triangle thing, right? Like you know that the interior angles of a triangle always add up to 180 degrees. Hell yeah, trigonometry, baby. Trigonometry, exactly. You don't need to see every single triangle to know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, validity and logic. You don't need to see every modus ponens argument to know that that argument form is always valid. Right. You don't need to meet every bachelor to know that every bachelor is unmarried. Yeah, yeah it's the definition thing. Yeah. It's true, yeah. Um, So you know those things a priori, independently of experience. The other is called a posteriori, which is like after your experience. So if you want to know whether or not Canada is north of Mexico, you actually need to go and check that fact. Right. You need to see it with your own eyes. Exactly, yeah, you need to, you need experience, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's that one called? A posti, a post Malone? Posteriori. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so then there's two more concepts that we need to understand. And these are analytic and synthetic. Mm -hmm. So we'll do some more examples, right? So here's these are examples of analytic judgments or analytic statements. All bachelors are unmarried. People with a million dollars are millionaires. All ophthalmologists are doctors. Is it making sense? Do you think you could make one? Yeah. Do you think you can make an analytic an analytic statement? Sure. Here, give me one second. Um, whew, here we go. Um, all boulders are heavy. It doesn't really work though, right? Because heavy is only relatable to us. Yeah. Yeah, if you were on like the the moon or something, a boulder wouldn't be heavy. Okay, let me try again. It's my first swing at it. Okay, let's just <laughs> uh, try another one here. Okay, all right, let's try. Oh fuck me! Um, all water is wet. <laughs> Does that not work either? Because of shit like dry ice. Is that? Am I like? Yeah, ice isn't. Yeah, probably ice isn't wet. Um, let me try again. Third time's a charm. How about this? All. Oh, God. I'm just, I just, I'm useless right now. Okay, tell me, give me an analytic statement about a bald man. A bald man? Yeah, bald man. All bald men have no hair on their head. (laughs) Boom. All right. They don't have their own, yeah, they don't grow their own hair. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. So analytic, you'll notice that an analytic statement, you don't go beyond the concepts that are in the sentence. Each concept sort of contains the other one. Right. Bachelor contains the concept unmarried. Unmarried contains the concept bachelor. Oh, I see. Okay. All orphans have no parents. Boom. Perfect. Got him. Okay, but, but now here's a, would be a synthetic one. All orphans are unhappy. That's not true. Well, it, it might be true, but you need to go out and investigate. You need to meet every orphan. <laughs> That's a synthetic <laughs> Well, Sam, you just gave me my new life goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, like uh, for another one. Um, 
some millionaires are not rich. Because being rich depends on the value of your money. If you live in an economy with high inflation, you might have a million dollars and only be able to buy a tube of toothpaste. True that. True that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be rich. So a synthetic judgment is a judgment where you actually, you need to go out and do an investigation. You need to figure something out. Right. So this analytic synthetic distinction is no longer mainstream in philosophy, but it's, at the time, it was a really big deal. Mm. And Kant came up with it. Now, it seems like on the face of it, how we, when we relate these a priori, a posteriori, analytic and synthetic, it seems like there's only really two ways that you can combine these, right? You, and it seems like you can only say that there's a priori analytic and a posteriori synthetic because a priori is before experience. Mm-hmm. So it seems like all the like bachelors are unmarried stuff, like that's all, it seems a priori, right? Like, yeah, all triangles have three sides. Exactly. All rectangles have four sides, therefore, there go on, and that's, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah. But yeah, but when something is synthetic, you're talking about two different concepts that don't contain each other. So to see if they actually have the relation, you need to go out into the world and test it. Mm-hmm. You could say all balls roll when you kick them. But that's not necessarily true. Mm. Right? Okay, and well, well, you... You just made a causal judgment. Oh, fuck. Balls roll when you kick them. (laughs) So this might be, this is the kind of thing that Kant wants to say is necessarily true. But we have to go a little deeper. We have to go a little deeper before we can get to what's going on. So it seems like analytic goes with a priori. And it doesn't seem like you could possibly have a synthetic a priori. Because synthetic means combining two concepts that aren't really related to each other. And a priori means you know it without experience. Yeah. So how, how could you possibly have this? It seems impossible. does seem impossible, but... Do you have any guess as to what it might be? Because Immanuel Kant thinks he knows for sure that there are synthetic a priori judgments, and we make them every day. Oh, God. Oh, man. Um, shit. I, I, I'm really, I don't think I'm ever, I'm not, I'm not going to hit it today. What, what is it? Just tell me. Okay. okay. Math. Math. One plus two equals three. Mm-hmm. Right? So you look at the number one and you look at the number two. Looking at these numbers by themselves, they don't seem to contain the number three, do they? No, they don't. And yet when you put them together, you get the number three. And you only need to prove that once, and then you know it's true every time. It's necessarily true. Right. You don't need to go in the world and test every combination of one and two to get three. Right. So you know it independently of experience, but it's also synthetic because the concepts don't contain each other. At least according to Kant. Okay, I see, I see, I see, I see. I, get, uh, I think I, I got that, yeah. All right, so, so this is a what, what Kant called the synthetic a priori judgment. And this is what he thought was the, the coolest thing, the coolest thing ever. Um, because if math is synthetic a priori, then pretty much anything that uses math as like a fundamental part of it is going to be synthetic a priori. Mm-hmm. So getting to the triangles thing, geometry, according to Kant, is synthetic a priori. Right? And all triangles have three sides. That's, that's analytic. That's just by definition. Yeah. But like... Pythagoras's theorem. You don't know what Pythagoras's theorem is just because you know a triangle has three sides. Right. 
you have to like learn that. It's a new concept. So synthetic a priori before experience. And this is when things start to get really, really cool. Okay, I'm on the edge of my fucking seat over here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you cannot like uh, I just it's not these concepts are hard for me to grasp when I'm like firing on all cylinders and me trying to get my head wrapped around this when I'm in the hangover fugue state is a it's a whole nother level of difficulty. <laughs> And this is like the most dumbed down version. Please, that thank you. Possibly exist. Dumb it down <laughs> even further for me. This stuff is so like impossible. I think I made it through the first two pages of his book, and I was like, I'm, I can't handle this. You can't handle it. <laughs> See, I still got it. <laughs> <laughs> I still got a couple of synapses rubbing rubbing together in there. <laughs> couple sparks. Yeah. Just enough for a pun or two. <laughs> so here's, here's the argument, right? It's a pretty simple argument. The first premise is what we just sort of demonstrated, that geometrical knowledge is synthetic a priori. Mm-hmm. Now, geometry is the language that we use to describe space. So Kant's argument goes to the second premise. Synthetic a priori knowledge of geometry is only possible if space is a function of our mind and not actually a property of matter mm. or of the world outside of our minds. I don't like that. I don't fucking like that at all. All right, well, there are objections to it, but before we get to the objections, let's... Unpack it some more. Let's give, it, give another run through, right? Unpack it and put it in a smaller box that I can consume. <laughs> so geometry is the language we use to describe space. Mm -hmm. So geometry involves all of these necessary truths. Right, Pythagoras' theorem, angles add up to 180. There's all these things that are necessarily true that we know a priori before experience. Right. So if geometry, if the language that we use to describe space is just all of these necessary truths, then space itself must involve similar necessary truths. But if space involves all of these necessary truths, then space is not something that we discover or learn about through experience. Because as Hume proved, you can't learn any necessary truths through experience. Right. So if we are learning necessary truths about space, then it must be because space is somehow a function of our own mind, something sort of created by our own mind to create our experiences. So I, I'm just trying to figure out what, that, what the implications of that sentence is, are. <laughs> What, like space is the implication is <laughs> space is clearly uh, to me a uh, a real thing, and this guy's saying it's all hap like space only exists in my mind. I, and what do you mean by space? It's like empty spaces, or just the fact that I can move in three dimensions? So right, so like basically, um, it's like when we think of the world, right? We think of things as being located in space. Mm -hmm. At a particular point, they take up a certain amount of space. Yes. This is how we think of, we think of ourselves as like we're in space. We're in this three-dimensional um, grid. Yeah. And things occupy certain points in that space. Yes. But remember, remember, this, is, this takes us back to Berkeley, right? We are immediately familiar with only the ideas that are in our mind. Mm-hmm. We're not immediately familiar with the world outside. The light goes into our eye, 
but our eyeball isn't like a little brain. Our eyeball is like a lens. Right. That connects via a wire to our brain. Yeah. So whatever's going on in our brain is a representation of... What our sensors are picking up. Exactly. So, I mean, Kant didn't know this, but... So, like, in our mind, right, we have space. But obviously our, our brain is in a skull. It's not actually in space. Mm-hmm. The space that we perceive is created by the brain. It's a representation. Yeah. I mean, fuck, this stuff is always so goddamn... This, this might help, right? This might help, right? Okay. You've heard of phantom limb syndrome, right? Yes. So this is when someone, an amputee, still feels sensations in their limb as if it was still there, but it's actually not there. Right. So they feel a sensation at a location in space that their body doesn't extend to. Right. It's just their brain creating that illusion. Your brain creates your brain creates all of space and it can make you feel like you have a pain that's not even actually connected to your body. But like they look because the the pain is located in space where their limb would be, but then they look and the limb isn't there, but they feel the pain in that space. So are you saying that it's possible that the amount of space I'm perceiving that's in this room and all the objects in it, that my representation that my brain is creating for me is not accurate. And it is not actually, this isn't actually like a 10 foot by 10 foot square room. Let's, let's leave actuality out of it. But when you're dreaming, mm-hmm. you can dream that you're in a, in a huge room, a hundred mile by a hundred mile room. Yeah. Are you actually in a hundred mile by hundred mile room? No, but you perceive that you you perceive that you are in the dream. Yeah, because your mind can create your mind creates space. Yeah, but space is also a real thing too outside of the mind. It has to be right. Well, this is yeah. This is the the big objection to Kant um, to premise two, which is that look, maybe you're right, and it seems that he is right that our our brains make space. They make it up, or they don't make it up necessarily. But it's like a it's a function of the mind. The space you're experiencing is just a representation and not the actual thing, right? Exactly. That's the objection. Like, look, just because the space that we experience is a representation, a function of the mind, it doesn't mean that it isn't actually a, a property of the world outside of our minds that our, our minds can represent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So even if that's true, the sort of the, the upshot of it is, is that we're only ever really familiar with the way things appear to us. Mm-hmm. We're all just taking it on faith that our brains are, are giving us a, a, a somewhat accurate representation of the actuality of rea- what's happening, right? Yeah, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's sort of like a, it sort of pulls the rug out from under Hume a little bit because Hume, you know, was, this, was an empiricist who thought we get all of our knowledge from experience and from our senses. but. Kant has sort of shown that actually you can't even have any experiences without um, these sort of preloaded functions like space, like time. Mm-hmm. Our minds use these to create our experiences and order them. If those, if our minds didn't make those, then we would be, we wouldn't even be able to have any experiences at all. Right. And these are necessary truths. There's so experience itself is made from this net this is where i like stop understanding it because it's fucking ridiculous well maybe i'll have a better chance at it (laughs) so we have to we have to do it (laughs) okay okay so then we get to causation so whatever let's give it to kant that space is a function of the mind 
Kant uses this same sort of argument for cause and effect, right? So we have this idea that cause and effect, that there's a necessary connection between two events. Mm-hmm. Even the concept of an event is a function of our mind that we impose on representations from our senses. Mm-hmm. Like this idea of discrete events. When you think about it, really, there is no such thing as a discrete event. Everything is like completely and holistically connected. But we sort of make up our minds, order things into events, and then link them with causes that we can understand. We need this to even create experience. What do you mean by discrete event? Like one billiard ball rolls into another billiard ball, hits it, second billiard ball rolls away. Yeah. Like we say there are two events there. But there could be three events, four events, five events, six events. Like there could be like an infinite number of events there. It just depends on how you describe it. Okay. And there's tons of events going on that we don't even see, right? Like the little atoms bumping into each other or not bumping into each other. There's a little static electricity maybe going on in between there. Air is getting pushed out of the way. (laughs) Sound is being produced. Probably a little heat, friction. Yeah. When the balls hit each other. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. But um, when we look at it, we, our mind categorizes things into these like discrete events. And we have this idea of the necessary connection between the cause and the effect. Yeah. We just sort of impose that idea on the world to make sense of it. But we don't learn it from the world. The world that we are experiencing is created through that function. Okay. Well, I'm going to take your word on that. Is there a way you can rephrase this whole point? <laughs> You're saying that the, we create the experiences, like our brain is creating everything we're experiencing, and not it's not. Think about it. Think of, right. So remember that we have our senses, and our senses, at least we believe, they take in information, right? Light particles, sound waves, chemicals. Mm-hmm. From the outside world. Yeah. That raw sensory data gets converted into electrical signals. Right. Which is the representation our brain is presenting us. Right. And all this raw data runs into your brain. And what does your brain do? Your brain has to translate this, translate all the raw data into, and obviously this is not how it works at the neurological level, but this is just trying to summarize it. Mm -hmm. This goes into the brain and the brain has to create an experience from this that will allow you to function in the world. Right. And so what the brain seems to do, and I don't, okay, this might not be a perfectly accurate way to depict what Cam was talking about because obviously he didn't know about like neuro, neurobiology or anything like that. Yeah. But basically the brain is sort of armed with these, I guess you could say like translation techniques like space-time, motion, cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And it uses these preloaded functions to categorize and process all of the information into a simple story that we can understand. And that isn't entirely accurate, but that is like pretty good at helping us to, to succeed. So our brains are pretty much dumbing down <laughs> what's actually happening in the world so that we can understand it. Yeah, that's like a good way to think about it. And the reason that Hume was wrong, according to Kant, is right. Hume was saying that, ah, we, we drop into this world, we see all these things happen, and then our brain proposes, like, oh, it must be cause and effect, and we just adopt this custom. Yeah. Kant is saying, actually, no, 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 it's the opposite of that. You 
you can't even have an experience without putting cause and effect on it first. Right. Like you don't see things happen and then deduce cause and effect from what you see happening. Mm. Your brain puts things together for you. It assembles the package, right? The world that you're looking at is like a movie and your brain is like the screenwriter and it's, it's putting it together for you with cause and effect and time and space. Mm -hmm. And it's using these things to, to create an image for you that you can actually like understand because that's how you understand all this raw data. Right. Cause if we didn't have these like preset abilities in our brain there, all the raw data that the world is giving us wouldn't make any sense. Like it's just too much going on. Exactly. You need, yeah, you, you like superimpose cause and effect space time. Like you superimpose these things onto the data. Mm -hmm. You don't learn about them from the data. You impose them on the data. Right. That's why like cause and effect is like, it seems necessary because it's in your mind, a priori, you put it on the world. It's a pre preset that you can't delete. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Of course, people think Kent is wrong. Um, nowadays, people think geometry is not a priori. Einstein, I think, was the guy for that. Man, you do this a lot to me. Where I, like, I'm like, oh, good. We've settled on what is the actual reality of what's happening. They figured it out. And then at the very end, you're like, anyways, nowadays, this is all considered bullshit. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why did I just stretch my brain out like a rubber band in a desperate attempt to fucking understand this stuff that's <laughs> not even accurate? Ah, part of it is still right though. Like part of Kant's conclusion is wrong, right? Like Kant is trying to preserve these ideas that there are all these necessary truths, and now we just know that this not there aren't as many necessary truths as we wish. Yeah, things that are true in all possible worlds, but stuff that he said is still worth thinking about like the idea that our minds create space, right? Like it isn't, it is like, that is true, right? Like we do create these very powerful representations and we create space and like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that what's confused me a little bit is the word space and what it, like the definition of what that word means. Yeah. Cause clearly space exists outside of our minds. That's what we believe. But we don't like can't like was like the opposite. Well, you know, it's tricky to say that um, Berkeley would have said no, or at least you can't have knowledge of it. Like a lot of the stuff in philosophy is like, what do you actually have knowledge of? Right. And at most, you'd know that uh, at most you can say you have knowledge of appearances because things appear to be located in space. Mm -hmm. But again, you've never you've never been able to compare your representation of space with the real thing. So you can't really say for sure that it's uh, like similar. Yeah. And you'll never, there's nothing that you can really like in that sense, you can't really prove that anything you're experiencing is accurate to what the reality is. Yeah. But I mean, it seems like um, it seems silly to say that there's no such thing as like space in the, in the real world, the mind independent world, right? Like if every human being died, and every mind was gone. Like, yeah, there's still going to be realities of things that are in space, whether there's a mind to perceive it or not. It's whether or not our our representation is the act is accurate or not, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's tricky, right? It's it's all about like what do you actually know? 
Yeah, this is some like this is some heady shit where it seems like you're talking in circles a lot of time when you talk about this stuff because it's all again, it's not stuff you can really prove. It's all I don't know, hypothetical, synthetic, yeah. But that's uh that's pretty much Kant's uh Kant's answer. Obviously not like a super detailed version of it, but basically that's it. Instead of Deriving cause and effect and metaphysics from experience, we impose these on experience. And I don't know if anyone actually really totally understands Kant because his stuff is really dense, but that's basically the gist of it. <laughs> yeah. If that was the simplified version, I don't even know what, like, I think everybody that reads him and, and claims to understand him deeply is uh, full of shit, probably. <laughs> Like you said, I it, I have a hard time believing anyone understands this stuff. Truly, I mean, yeah, it's hard because he was he was writing like two hundred, three hundred years ago, right? Like they had a very different view of the world, and it's really hard to put ourselves in their place because we know we know so much more than they do or than they did. So it's hard to know like what they were really thinking. Well, I'll tell you right now, I don't. It doesn't feel like I know more than he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. You know. You know a lot more than he does about the brain. I mean, on like some levels. Yeah. So in a way, I'm smarter than Kant. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> you know about Einstein? He didn't know about Einstein. Yeah. He didn't know about quantum. Like <laughs> he didn't know about computers, man. He didn't know. He didn't even have. He didn't even have a Facebook account. He didn't. Even, he wouldn't even know how to log in. No TikTok. Forget it. Like, what does he know about that? Yeah, forget it. I'm not even going to bother explaining <laughs> that to him. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a lot of objections to Kant. Um, he's just known. He was. This was like this was big deal stuff at the time, and it's been a big deal for a while. Like people are still responding to it. But yeah, I don't think people accept either of his premises anymore. Uh, they don't accept that geometry is a priori, and they don't accept that um, that his conclusion means that even if it is true that geometry is a priori, it doesn't prove that space is something only about our mind and not a property of things in themselves. Yeah, because that to me just seems like that's not true. I, like obviously a lot of the what like gut my gut instinct to someone telling me that space only exists in my mind is nah. Hell nah. Nah dog. Hell nah. Nah dog. <laughs> that ain't it. That ain't it. <laughs> Alright, well that about wraps it up. Um maybe next week we'll try and do some modern stuff. If I can understand it, I might not be able to, I'll be honest. Yeah, well, Sam, here's the thing. Here's a little little piece of advice. If you can't understand it, I'm not going to understand it <laughs> at all. So if you can put these into words that Jordan Strauss can digest, that's a very impressive feat in its own. But don't be afraid to toss in a couple of lessons that are like, you know, kind of aimed at grade school children. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, maybe we can do... I don't know. That's pretty hard to find something like that in philosophy. Grade school. Grade school. This grade three philosophy course. Being nice. How about that? The philosophy of kindness. Even that's, even that's pretty hard. That's pretty hard too, actually. Philosophy just isn't. It's just not easy. No, it's not. Not, not easy. Well, I appreciate your efforts today. I, uh, I'm definitely not firing on all cylinders. That's my bad. I apologize to the listeners, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, <laughs> you guys can email us at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com um, 
I don't believe that we have any emails this week. Nope, we do not. But that's okay. I'm just going to keep putting that line out there, throwing that hook in the water, seeing if we get any bites. Um, yeah, Emmanuel Kant versus David Hume, round three. <laughs> I don't know how David Hume had any friends. Honestly, I don't. He was, he was popular. He was one of the most popular public intellectuals of his time. Well, maybe his time was the, was the problem. Well, he's easier to read than a lot of the other people. Like, can barely get through a paragraph of Kant, but Hume is like, he's like making jokes. He's like being sarcastic. Like, oh, he's the everyman philosopher. He did some great stuff. Like, he, he did this thing called On Miracles, mm-hmm. where he basically like proved that if you believe in a miracle, you're an irrational moron. <laughs> well, I like that. I think we did talk about that once already. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he did that at a time when the church was a big deal. So, you know what? I can respect that. I can respect that. I, I respect David Hume. I respect David Hume. <laughs> All right. Well, that's this week's episode. I don't know how, like, what type of lag we're dealing with as far as, like, because how many episodes do we have that aren't released yet at this point in time? I hope there's two. I hope we recorded the right episode this week. I hope we didn't skip skip one. Ah, well, who cares? Whatever. It's all G. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go lie down on a couch and uh, just really try, try and digest what you just told me. But honestly, I'm probably just going to keep watching my, my dumb shows. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Nice. Anything else you want to add? Um, go Blue Jays. Go, uh, go Jays. Jays. Yeah. <laughs> go Jays. And if you think there's something on your head and there's nothing on your head, you've probably been cursed. You've been cursed. Cursed by the ghost. Random drunk guy at a Blue Jays game. <laughs> All right. Over and out. Goodbye. <laughs>